This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. I want to spend a few minutes just right now because, again, I'm sure that over the course of the day you have talked about the Clinton-Trump debate last night. You've heard Bill talk about it. You've heard Scott talk about it. So I don't want to take a ton of time this evening. But there is one thing about the debate that I wanted to point out because everyone has an opinion and that's great. The numbers, they are talking, they do believe now that they probably hit somewhere in the neighborhood of that hundred million that they were thinking they might get. Like Super Bowl numbers. It was a massive event. It was a massively important event. It was a somewhat predictable event. Let's be honest, it was. I think many people expected and got exactly what they expected by seeing Hillary Clinton, who looked a little bit like a Disney World animatronic. I mean, she really did. She looked stilted and and had that smile plastered on. That was, I think, what we expected. We were going to just see that. We saw Donald Trump look as expected, peeved a lot of the time, short-tempered a lot of the time. Nothing that I don't think should have surprised us in that. And even with the fact that it was predictable in a lot of ways, it was... And even though the fact that it was cringeworthy at times, because there were moments when you're going, oh, really? It was relatively entertaining as theater goes, as sport, as politics, as sport goes. It was entertaining. But here's the thing that dawned on me as I'm watching this debate last night. And like you, I was I was glued to the set trying to see what was going on because it is important, even though it's entertainment in a sense, even though we call politics sport, it's for an important position for sure. And here's the thing that dawned on me as I'm watching this. None of this matters. None of what we watched yesterday on TV matters. Now, what do I mean by that? Based on that debate, one of the candidates might pick up a percentage of a a percent, a piece of a percentage in the polls. Maybe. For now, until the next debate or something else happens. But Donald Trump could be as abrasive and off the handle and freewheeling and offensive as as ever. And it was not going to cost him a single vote. And it was not going to win him a single vote. And why is that? Because his base is solid. And Hillary Clinton could have basically done anything other than collapse into a coma on the stage and she was not probably going to win a vote or lose a vote. Of course, there's a few that are at play. But why? Because her base is solid. It doesn't matter. Let's say Donald Trump went absolutely bananas crazy, just absolutely bat crazy. Wouldn't matter. And if you are a Hillary Clinton backer, you'd say, sure, what? If Donald Trump lost his mind and started ranting and raving, it would make a big difference. Probably not. Honestly, probably not. And that's because this debate that we're watching, this election we're watching, is not about Hillary Clinton and it's not about Donald Trump. It really isn't. They are the main players But watching this debate, it suddenly crystallized in my mind. This is not about Hillary Clinton per se. It's about what Hillary Clinton represents. So on her side, Hillary Clinton represents the status quo. She represents career politicians. She represents all the stuff that made her lose to Barack Obama in 2008 because he was not your typical traditional politician. That's why she lost to him. 
Yes, he was the first African-American candidate. That may have helped, but she was the first woman candidate. So it should have been offset. But she was the career politician competing against the guy who was seen in a lot of ways as the outsider. And her, her scandals may have hurt her in a lot of ways, but as Donald Trump pointed out, she's had chances to fix things and she didn't. Those were points that he made. But the same can be said about Donald Trump. It's not really about him. This election is not really about him. It's about what he represents. So those who disagree, those who don't like him, see him as being big business and greed and the 1% and ego and braggadocio, as he described it yesterday. I love that word. Don't think I've ever actually used it before. I don't know if he's ever used it before. Or what did he say? Was it braggadocio or braggadocious? I think he said braggadocious. Anyway, it's not about Donald Trump. It's about what he represents. So if you're an American who was watching this yesterday, or even a Canadian, although we don't get to vote. But if you're an American and you want change, the same thing that happened when Barack Obama swept into power eight years ago, you hate what Hillary Clinton stands for, and you want Donald Trump to win just because he's an outsider who's going to come in potentially and correct stuff. doesn't matter what he did. It makes no difference what he did in the debate last night. It really doesn't. And if you, on the other hand, are an American who believes that the government is there to help you and the government serves the people and the government does a lot of stuff for you and the healthcare and everything that's been going on for the last number of years, if you believe in that, you don't care who your candidate is. You don't care that it's Hillary Clinton who's had scandals or whatever. You hate the idea of Donald Trump because you don't want the change. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Who was up on the stage? You don't want, if you're that in that group, you don't want Donald Trump because he says he's going to renegotiate treaties and he's going to upset the apple cart in some ways. And you say, no, no, I like the way things are going. This whole debate, essentially, while entertaining, while drawing great numbers, this whole debate really, really didn't matter. Because you have two candidates who could be anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. Americans are voting for one idea or the other idea. And those two candidates simply represent those ideas, or at least they are standing in as human manifestations of those ideas. They may not even agree with it. It's what they stand for or what they're supposedly representing. So you could have literally put a pine tree and a cactus, pick which side is which, and said, those are the candidates. One of them is for the continuation of what's going on in the States. One of them is for change. And you want to know what would happen? We'd be sitting here arguing about whether the pine tree or the cactus was better at debating. We don't really care about the candidates. We don't. If the, if the Americans truly cared about the candidates per se, Neither Hillary Clinton nor Donald Trump would have been on that stage last night. Better candidates would have been there. They both stink. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all about the idea that you're standing for. It's why Donald Trump did well in the first half of the debate yesterday. When the topic was economics and the problems with economics in the United States and people's finances... Donald Trump represented what people 
what the people in his corner want to see change. They want to see the system changed. And it's why Hillary Clinton did well in the second half when the topic moved on to issues like greed and money and taxes and sexism and those kind of things where the people who would like what's going on and don't like what Donald Trump and what the, what they perceive his side stands for. That's when they made some, made up some ground. And here's, here's the part about it that I find so interesting. So many people today in follow-up and even before this, but so many people in the follow-up of this debate said, made all kinds of comments about Donald Trump, that Donald Trump is horrible, that Donald Trump is a joke, that fair enough. I mean, I don't care. That is your opinion. You're fully entitled to it. I'm not going to argue with you because I think they both were a bit of a mess and their flaws were both eminently evident in the debate last night. But here's the thing. If you have a problem with Donald Trump, And if you have a problem with the idea that Donald Trump is a presidential candidate, fine. But understand that Donald Trump is not about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the idea. If the career politicians like Hillary Clinton had been doing what the people had wanted and solved the problems in the first place, they wouldn't have created a Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the byproduct of frustration because people see the government has not done their job. Meanwhile, if you believe that the government does everything right or does most things right, you will believe in Hillary Clinton. The point is we spent 90 minutes last night, plus the post-game shows, which by the way, can I just say one thing about the post-game shows? And when I say post-game, you know what I'm talking about after the debates. Can we make a rule in Canada and the U.S. that political operatives for both parties should not be on the post-event, post-debate panel discussion. What is the? What are we expecting? Someone who is a partisan political operative. What are they? What are we expecting them to say? Do you think that the person who represents, who works for the Republicans, do you think the Republican operative is going to say, you know what? Uh, geez, Donald Trump really had a rough night tonight. No, they're going to just spew out the Republican talking points. And do you think the Democratic operative? is going to say, yeah, you know, Hillary Clinton really uh, looked looked stiff. No, they're going to just spew out the Democratic politics. Why do we even have them on panels? And it's Canada and the States. We do this up here too. We get people on the CBC and the CTV panels after debates, and they come out and they just tell us what they want us to hear, as opposed to any kind of objective analysis. Anyway, 90 minutes last night, while entertaining, Solved nothing. It didn't move the needle. No, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet you that when we see the polls come out, and of course there were all kinds of immediate polls and CNN did a poll right afterwards. Took them about an hour to put it together, which was very impressive, the speed. But, and it showed that Hillary Clinton won big, which she may have. But then when they explained that, yeah, but the poll, the, the people that they were able to speak to was wildly strong on the Democratic side. There were way more Democratic voters who were involved in this poll. Well, then what do we actually get from it? So the polls, whatever. But when the poll, when the actual polls, when some real polls in a few days come out, I'm willing to bet you that we're not going to have seen anything really happen because this election, despite all the excitement of the debate, and again, I watched it too. So it's, I'm not dumping on you for watching it. 
You should have watched it. But it doesn't matter because you're not voting. Americans are not truly voting for Donald Trump or not truly voting for Hillary Clinton. They're voting for the idea, for the the philosophy, the political stand. They're voting for what what they stand for. They're either voting for the left or voting for the right. It doesn't matter who is actually personifying the politician who's going to be representative and who's going to be the president. That It doesn't. It doesn't. And watching the debate last night, that became abundantly clear. These are two deeply, we knew this, but these are two deeply, horribly flawed candidates. Neither one, honestly, who should be the president of the United States, if we're being very honest, neither one should be holding that office. One of them's going to, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's not about the person who's going to hold that office. They are going to be unpopular. It's about the idea. We watched a debate last night that essentially was 90 minutes of highly entertaining TV that, is, that in all, for all intents and purposes meant and solved nothing. And for all the ink and all the time and all the discussion and everything else, it meant I'm sorry, it meant nothing. And there's just tons of people tied up in knots today about who won. It doesn't matter who won. I mean, I'm sorry if this somehow takes away the excitement of the debate. It doesn't matter. If the polls come out and say Donald Trump won the debate, do you think that suddenly a whole bunch of the Hillary Clinton camp, uh, Hillary Clinton people who are going to support her, go, Donald Trump won, we got to move over to his camp. That's not going to happen. And do you think that a lot of the people who supported Donald Trump are going to look and if the polls come out and say Hillary Clinton won, that we're going to go and support him? No. And the idea that when they say, well, there's all these independents, do you truly believe that there are independents in the United States? See, I don't. I don't. There, there are people who may not have an official party affiliation, but they probably more than likely have voted the same way all the time because everybody has a political view. And if they haven't done that, It simply means that they don't really care, that they are essentially apathetic and they probably won't cast a ballot anyway. So I hope you enjoyed the debate. I did. I thought it was very entertaining last night. But if you're expecting that this is going to be moving the dial or maybe deciding who's going to be the next president, I have great, great doubts about that. By the way, the numbers are just out 84 million people, apparently. Watch this. That compares. This is the ninth rated debate ever, as far as not total people, as far as percentage of TV audience, because, of course, the population has gone up. So Yeah, I, thought, I think it's necessary to point that out, because people have been like, oh, it was the most watched debate ever. More people watch this, but a smaller percentage. By percentage, yes. it was ninth all time. And um, But that doesn't take into account digital viewers. So sure. there is a chance that this was the most watched debate and 106 million watched the mash finale when the population was, uh, 233 million. So almost a hundred million fewer people in the States and 105 million of them watched the mash finale. So almost 50%. I suppose goes to a point that you made. I want to say last week about celebrities and how we would much rather care about something like that. That doesn't matter. Well, This whole debate was about celebrity. The only difference is that I think most of us are realizing that it doesn't really 
in this particular case, it doesn't matter who is going to get into the White House. You are voting for a philosophy and for a political stand rather than a person because neither one is an appealing candidate. And yet people are still passionate about this debate. They're still fighting for these people, even though deep in their heart of hearts, we know that both of them are horrible candidates doesn't matter. I'm sorry. I, I, again, I keep coming back to it. As I was watching last night, I just couldn't help but realize it just doesn't matter. I feel like I'm that scene with Bill Murray in, in the movie Meatballs, for those of you old enough to remember. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Well, that's what this was. Anyway, we will all tune in again, probably another hundred million or so, 85 million for the next debate. And we will go through it again because why are we going to watch? Because if there's one thing, I got to give him this. If there's one thing Donald Trump can do, it is sell. And he said, what did he say today? I am going after Hillary a lot harder in the next ca- next uh, debate. Well, we're all tuning in for that, aren't we? Because that'll be high entertainment once again, even though it ultimately won't make a big difference. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. I was thinking back before when I was preparing the show today, I was thinking back to when I was 16 years old and all of my driving experience which, which at that point consisted of playing some video games, which involved driving in the arcade back when they had arcades and driving games. And I think I'd been to the go-kart track a few times, but pretty much by the time I turned 16, that was it. I was not an exceptional driver. I hadn't been a driver. Well, let me introduce you to my next guest. He is 16. His name is Caden Lapsovich. He just won the NASCAR Pinty's Series Championship, the youngest champion he is now of any driving series sanctioned by NASCAR. And did I mention he's 16? Caden, welcome to the show. Congratulations, man. That's unbelievable. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Hey, do you even have your regular driver's license yet? Yeah, I, uh, I turned 16 last November, and I got my G1 that day, and then I got my G2 just uh, end of June. Okay, so you were actually spending then part of the time that you were winning races, you actually, when you went on the road, had to have an adult sitting in the passenger seat next to you and on the regular street. Yeah. <laughs> seems seems a little superfluous, doesn't it? A little, little probably unnecessary? Um, well, my friends were like, well, haven't you been driving since you were four? Well... I mean, I still got to follow the rules of, rules of the road. So. <laughs> it still must have been cons- a little odd for you to, well, for a couple reasons. First of all, to actually have to say, hey, Dad, you want, I, I got to drive to the store. Can you get in the car? Which must have seemed a little weird. But two, to be used to speed limits. That must have, when you've grown up without speed limits, trying to go as fast as you can, I have to believe that was a bit of an adjustment to actually say, I got to take my foot off the gas here a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was kind of, um, you know, my mom always told me, can go like you know ten over and you'll be all right. But you know, I, I have this habit of just going like really fast, so it, it it actually did take me a while to adapt to. Oh, you have to slow down for this area of the town and stuff. But um, yeah, know, I, I think I I think I got her all under control now. Caden, I remember a few years ago. I can't remember who the driver was. You probably remember. But after the uh, the Indy in Toronto, there was a driver who had just finished racing and was in his car driving back to the hotel and got pulled over for going like 40 over because you know it's got to be hard to be flat out all the time you get on the racetrack and then to not be able to do that it really has to be an adjustment well i mean it's it's definitely different getting in a like from a race car to a 
to a streetcar. But um, you know, I think after after a while, you just sort of you sort of just got to know that like you you can't get yourself in trouble on the road, or you know, you may not be able to race. So that's true enough. You know, that's sort of the way I look at it. When did you actually? You said four. Was it four you started driving? Yeah, I got my first first quarter midget when I was about four and a half, and I practiced that for a bit. And you know, I actually wasn't allowed to race till I was five, so. I sort of toyed around with that in the parking lot of the shop, and then um, the, when I turned five, me and my dad ventured off to the racetrack the first week, and I was able to, and you know, we've been going ever since. Do you remember that first race? Do you remember racing when you were five? It's a long time ago. I can, you know, I remember parts of that season and, you know, how it all, how it sort of all went, but knowing my, remembering my first race is sort of tough, but, like, I know where it was and everything, I just, don't remember how it went. Were, were you good at it right away, though? I mean, some people, some drivers, they become really good because they really work at it. Others just seem to have a natural knack for it. Which one were you? I I think I just, I like, I progressed throughout my years. And, you know, I was always sort of a, a good racer. I always sort of run up front, and I was always contending for races. But, you know, when I, when I first started racing, I actually had a problem passing my friends that I met at the racetrack because I... I didn't want to make him feel bad because I passed one one time and, <laughs> and he cried. So, you know, after after a little bit and, you know, my parents yelled at me and told me I wouldn't race again, you know, I got that out of my system and I was, you know, I became quite the racer, I think. You know, it, you may have just stumbled onto something great here. Like Dale Earnhardt Jr. should probably just like get really emotional every time someone passes him and see if he can make guys feel bad to not pass <laughs> him on the track. I mean, who knows? There may be a really kind-hearted other guy on the on the circuit who just, I don't want to make Dale sad. So, you know, just, <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it, it was though, to be racing at that age, were mom and dad ever, I mean, they put you in the car, but were they ever concerned about you doing it? Um, I don't think so, um, because I always showed quite an interest to it you know i grew up at the racetrack watching my dad and uncles and you know i'd be standing on the seat in the race car trying making race car noises steering and as we roll through tech so um you know i'd race my little toy cars around the coffee table and set up a fake racetrack in the yard and ride my atv around it but you know i think as soon as they could put me in a race car they wanted to because i just i showed that interest to it and you know, I always had a lot of fun when, even if I was just by myself racing around the track in the ATV, I just, you know, I always found that the atmosphere was just amazing. I loved every minute of it. When you're starting though, when you're learning how to be, and I mean, listen, as I said off the top, I learned when I was 17 or 18, I got my license later than some people, but I mean, to learn at four or five is, it's not the experience most people have. Do, do you have some accidents when you're gets, I mean, you're not going as fast as you would be now, but did you ever have any smash ups when you're learning how to drive yeah i you know i'm the first hard accident i can remember is i was going into a corner in the quarter midget and i hit like a rumble strip and it freaked me out like it you know i didn't i wasn't used to the vibration of the car and everything i let go of the wheel because it just nothing felt right so i let go of the wheel and i just went straight on into the wall (laughs) (laughs) you know after that my dad just he told me like you know, it's stuff that you got to get used to. And, like, you know, you're going to make those mistakes when you go into a corner. You're going to hit a rumble strip, upset the car, and it's not going to feel right for a couple laps. But, you know, I guess when I hit the rumble strips, it just scared me so much because I was only four and a half. It just, I don't know, scared the living crap out of me. But um, How fast would you have been going in that first year? How fast did the, the vehicles go? 
probably 50 to 60 kilometers an hour. Wow. Well, I thought you see, I thought you were going to say like 30 or 40, maybe. You know, even for a starter division, they were still motoring pretty quick. They would be. Yeah, it it was actually. And not not only are they going that quick, but I'm guessing they were a little bit smaller, so you were a lot closer to the ground, which makes it feel a lot faster too. Yeah, and we were only running on like sixteenth of a mile courses. So like, if you can imagine how small that was, we were running like five second lap times around the track. Which is <laughs> insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you remember as a kid, as you're getting started in this, do you ever remember being scared? I mean, the rumble track, yes, but generally, do you ever remember being scared? No, not not what I can remember. You know, I always sort of, you know, loved it. And I love the adrenaline of speed and the feeling that, you know, when you're going fast and you're racing around other cars, just how awesome it felt. It was just, you know, it was a really cool feeling right from the get-go. Has that ever changed? No, I just, I love moving up through the divisions. And, you know, as I get into some of the higher classes, as you know, the cars go faster, the competition gets more stiff. And, you know, it's something I've always loved was, you know, starting against new guys, a new challenge of a new race car and stuff. It's just, it's something I've always loved, like adapting to new stuff. You are now, uh, as I say, racing in the Pinties. For those who don't know what that is, explain what this series is. So it's like, um, it's one of NASCAR's, it's part of NASCAR's touring series. So there's like the NASCAR Pinty series, NASCAR K&N East and West, and NASCAR Modifieds and you know, just stuff that's a little bit lower than the, the trucks, Xfinity, and Sprint Cup, which is, you know, sort of where you get your get started. So, like, the next step from here is me probably going and trying to make a few trucks start. So, you know, it's one of where you start yourself out in if, you know, you lack a little bit of funding and stuff like we did. But, um, you know, it's where you, it's where you make your footsteps and, you know, try and prove yourself so that, you can run with those guys in the trucks and stuff when you get the opportunity to. Are, are most of the people you're racing against your age, or are they older? No, I race with, you know, there's, I, should, I shouldn't say it's where you get started. Like, it's, it's not actually where you have to start. It's, you know, guys like DJ Carrington and Jason Hathaway all have run it since the get-go, and it's just something they loved, and, you know, they didn't care to move up, but, you know, the way I look at it is it's sort of my starting point and where I can make my mark and, you know, hopefully move up through the ranks. I mean, for people, again, for people to understand this, uh, would it be kind of the idea of moving up through hockey that it would be the OHL, then the AHL, then the NHL, that it's one of those stops along the way? Yeah, I guess you could say that. I don't watch much hockey. So I don't want that all <laughs> no, you're, you're a football player, right? Yeah. What, do you, what position do you play? Linebacker. So you play linebacker. You're at grade 12 at West Lincoln? South Lincoln. South Lincoln, sorry, in uh, in Grimsby. Yeah, Smithville. Uh, Smithville. Yeah. Um, you do realize that, you know, you got a driving career. You could get hurt playing football. I know, and, you know, football started just as, you know, the last three races were going on in the season, and my dad was like, you know, maybe you should sit out the first couple weeks and, you know, just, just watch and help out. And, you know, me and my mom both looked at him like he was crazy, thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> You know, like I, I had never been hurt before in football, so you know, I, I trusted all the per, the protective gear and stuff that they make us wear. So you know, I really wasn't worried all that much about it. What is more dangerous, though? I mean, honestly, in your mind, because both those sports, racing and football, well, they both come with their risks. What, what do you think is a more dangerous sport? Um, 
Well, I mean, I, I'm always going to say racing because there's always that chance if you make it to Daytona in a sprint cup car, you're going 200 and something miles per hour and, you know, the walls come up really quick and, you know, stuff could go wrong so, so quick that, you know, just you could flick and, you know, you might be uh, dead, I guess you could say. But um, Yeah, it happens. Unfortunately, it does. Yeah, it, you know, it sucks to say, but, you know, even with all the safety equipment have, there's still failures, so. Is that you what know, you I'm, want to do, though, ultimately? Is the Sprint Cup where you would like to end up eventually? Yeah, that's my ultimate goal. And so this year, you won, th- how many races did you win this year? Three. And how many top tens did you have in addition to that? All of them, so. That's not bad. Twelve, I guess it was, yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. You know, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna not win, finishing in the top ten in every single race is that's uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but and you had, you mentioned funding a moment ago. You had some funding issues this year. Like how you, you lost. I understand your main sponsor right before the season. But racing is an expensive sport. So how do you how do you find people to keep the car going? How do you find the the uh, pieces? How do you find the material? How do you do all that stuff? You know, I think it it helps that we had all the like all the equipment and stuff from when my dad did it. So, you know, we had the 18-wheeler, the all the cars, the pit equipment, you know, all the materials that we needed to, you know, run a, a race team. It was just about, you know, putting that all together and being able to make it to the track. But, um, you know, the group of guys I got are, you know, they're really awesome. They've been with us for many years. and Volunteers? You know, all, Do they work as volunteers? And they're all volunteers. Wow. And so, you know, like I myself, I think, I might find it hard to come to the shop if, you know, put in all these hours and stuff. And I knew I wasn't being paid, but, you know, I think they're just as dedicated as I am to it. And they have the same passion for it as I do. And, you know, that, that really helped along the way. And, you know, it's just a lot of hard work and dedication to, you know, you know, you might have to cut a few corners and not spend as much money on a certain part, but, you know, in the in the end, right now, the the reward is just so much more hmm. soothing, I guess you could say, because we did it with, you know, so very little. Do you work on the cars as well? Yeah, I'm actually at the shop right now. We we're just we unloaded from Kawartha because it was the first time we made it down. And but yeah, I, me and my dad are here almost every night until you know, one or two o'clock in the morning. Wow. After work and school, but um, you know, all the guys come down. And they put in a few hours at the shop with us as well. So you know. I call it a one big family, and it's just something we've always really put a huge effort into. Talking with Caden Lapsovich, who just won the Pinty's Cup uh, NASCAR Series, uh, 16-year-old kid from Smithville, Grimsby. Um, Caden, we've just got a couple more minutes here. You were down, I understand, in Charlotte last week. Was that talking with NASCAR people? I, uh, you know, I met all the the top people, except for Brian France, I think, at NASCAR, which was it was really cool. It was a really cool experience to go down there and, you know, do all the media tour stuff and, you know, sort of see what a sprint cup driver does, you know, after they win a race probably. So, um, you know, it was a really cool learning experience. I met a lot of people and, um, you know, I think I'm headed back down there in a couple of weeks to do a couple of meetings. So I think we may be headed in, you know, the right direction. No, it definitely sounds like it. T- tell me just before we let you go, how fast do you go at this level now? What are the speeds you guys get up to? Uh, I would like to say down like the backstretch at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park or the Toronto Indy, we're hitting like 
160, 170 miles an hour. Miles an hour. Miles an hour. That's like 220 kilometers, I think. So let me go back to what I started with then. When you get on to the regular road, I mean, honestly, after you've raced and after you've been going around and around and around and you've had a full race and you go to drive, does it seem like you're really, really, really going slowly? If we were going through like a 40 or 50 zone, yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> but I'm um, on the highway, just, you know, it all sort of feels the same. You don't get the vibration of the car and stuff that you would. Yeah, you don't have to wear the collar. You don't have to wear the helmet. You don't, you know, all that stuff. But yeah. still, it's listen. It's it's a remarkable thing you did this year, Caden. It's a remarkable achievement. And I and I know, you know, I know you're saying you'd like to get to the Sprint Cup, man. At, at the rate you're going, um, you're giving yourself a chance, and that's uh, that's an amazing thing. Congratulations on this. Well, thank you. And you know, we're working really hard to. It's uh, you know, this year was a struggle, but a good one. I think we're headed. Yeah, I think we're headed in the right direction, though. Caden Lapsevich, uh, you can follow him again. He he will be racing for a long time. He will be racing and uh, moving up and up and up. Caden, thanks for doing this today. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me. Um, that is, you know what? What were you doing? Honestly, what were you doing when you were 16? That's, that's Whenever we talk to someone like this, I always try and you know go back and think, what was I doing when I was 16? And I know it wasn't that. I know it wasn't anything as remarkable as that. Uh, that to me is that to me is amazing. I am not a racing guy. If you want to hear racing, Scott Thompson in the afternoons here on CHML, he's the big racing guy. I'm not a racing guy, but I got to tell you, I can honestly get, I can honestly appreciate and understand what a huge achievement that is for a 16-year-old kid who doesn't even, or just got his license to be winning the Pinty's Cup Series against a lot of guys with a lot more experience, a lot older, a lot more driving time, and to finish in the top 10 every single race. Which also says one other thing. Keep in mind what that also says. Not only did you do well, you didn't wreck in one race. You didn't get caught up. You didn't make a huge mistake in a single race. That is amazing. That really is. I should also point out if you want to listen to more racing talk, Sunday nights, Raceline Radio, Eric Thomas. Absolutely. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.